Good morning, everyone. Good to have you here today. Some of you sound like you're frozen still. Hope you'll warm up a little bit here. But uh, we, are, we are starting a brand new series called The Trinity. Really excited about it. Uh, in the, all the years I've been here, we've never really done a study on the Trinity. I don't know why that is or how that happened, but we're going to remedy it starting today. So today and uh, in the next two weeks, we'll be talking about the Trinity. And if you're in a small group, well, you'll be discussing the very things that we're talking about this morning. And I hope that you'll be both refreshed and encouraged by it and, uh, and challenged to be, become more like Jesus, to be transformed. How many understand today that this is really what the Christian life is all about? It's being transformed and being made more like Jesus. When people... When people hear that you are a Christian, they should be able to recognize and see the very nature and the characteristics of Jesus in your life. And the way that we become more like Jesus is obviously studying and understanding and knowing who God is. So we're talking about the Trinity so that we can know our God better. So one of the very first memories I have of singing in church I was in Calvary Temple. That was the church I grew up in. And at our church at that time, we, we only ever sung hymns. Uh, there might be the odd course, but it would be very odd if we did sing them. But I remember particularly one hymn. Uh, and it, I guess the reason I remember it is because well, it's so majestic. But it's that hymn, Holy, Holy, Holy. Some of you know that hymn. It goes, Holy, Holy, Holy. Lord God Almighty, early in the morning my song shall rise to thee. Holy, 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 merciful and mighty, God in three persons, blessed Trinity. I understood all the words of that, of that, of that verse, of that hymn, except the last word, Trinity, and no idea what that was. So that's what we're going to talk about. We're going to help people understand our faith. In case you didn't know, we are a Trinitarian church, a church that believes in the Trinity. Now, some of you are sitting here wondering, well, what on earth is the Trinity? Well, let me just quickly show you a diagram that helps us understand who God is. Now, before I go any further, can I, I'm just going to tell you this. When it comes to the Trinity... It really is a mystery. We really, really can only begin to understand a little bit about it. How many understand that God is so much greater than we are? And, and, and so for us to try to put God under the microscope, as it were, to try to, to, to see who he is and what he is, is really quite impossible. God reveals to us as much as he wants us to know. And someday, when we go to be with him, when we die and go to heaven, then, of course, we will understand so much more. But for now, it remains a mystery. We are, th we are, we are people that only understand three dimensions. But when it comes to the things of God, we're talking about multiple dimensions that our, our human mind cannot even begin to comprehend. So I just want to put that, get that out of the way right off the bat. In, in humility, we have to admit we don't understand all of this. But here's what we do know. The Son is not the Father. The Father is not the Spirit. The Spirit is not the Son. And vice versa. The Son is not the Spirit. The Spirit is not the Father. The Father is not the Son. However, the Father is God. 
The Son is God, and the Spirit is God. That word Trinity comes from the Latin, uh, and it simply means threefold. So some people have tried to explain the Trinity uh, like it's an egg, for instance. It's, it's one thing, but it's got a shell, it's got a white, and it's got a yolk. Uh, that helps a little bit to understand the concept of three in one, but it breaks down when you begin to really examine it. Some have explained the, the Trinity as a, as a triangle. Um, some have, have likened it to H2O. There's three forms. There's, there's moisture, there's, uh, there's uh, vapor, there is uh, fluid, water, and there is ice. But again, it, it, all, it all begins to break down when you begin to really try to, to study it. So let's, let's just leave it for now to say uh, it's a mystery, uh, but understand that, that the Father, the Son, and the Spirit are all one, and they're all God. Now, I'm going to say this. Some of you uh, may be shocked to know that Jesus is God. A lot of people don't know that. In fact, some religions don't teach that. They teach the opposite, in fact. Uh, Je- the Jehovah's Witnesses and the Mormons, for instance, they would say that Jesus is not God, that he is created by God. But that is against the scripture completely. So even though those religions say that they use the Bible, they do not truly stick to the Bible. And therefore, we would say that they are heretics. They are heretical. We do not embrace them as our brothers and sisters because they have rejected what we would call the ancient faith. So, we have the Father, we have the Son, and we have the Holy Spirit. The thing, that, the thing that makes us embrace this so fully and so completely is that when Jesus was preparing to leave this earth and to return to the Father, he gave his disciples what we call a commission, a job to do. And their job was to go into all the world. You can read about it in Matthew 28, verse 19. Their job was to go into all the world and make disciples and do what? Baptize them in the name of the Father. Everybody, the name of the Father and the Holy Spirit. That's right. And if you grew up in the King James era, then you would say the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. In case you don't know, the Holy Ghost and the Holy Spirit are the same person, just uh, just slightly a different language. Today, what we want to do is we want to look at the Father. Now. Some of you who know your Bibles well, and I, there's some here I know that are uh, very, very familiar with the Old Testament, and some of you maybe have been studying the uh, Hebrew roots of our faith, and I, I get this all the time. I hear people say, well, pastor, how come we never refer to God as Yahweh or Jehovah? And how come we don't call him Adonai or El Shaddai or Jehovah Jireh? There's so many names. In fact, there are over 900 different names and titles for God in the Bible. But Jesus comes along, and he uses only one title. And by the way, it's none of those. He comes along and uses the title Father. In fact, Jesus teaches us that the name that we are to use when referring to God is Father. And there's a reason why he wants us to understand that we are to use that title. Because Father suggests or recommends that there is a relationship between God and his children. Now, a lot of people don't know that. They don't understand that. 
We have a relationship with God. In fact, it's not our idea. We're not the ones that came up with this idea. It's God's idea. God the Father wants to have a relationship with his Father. And so that's what we want to explore today. This idea that God is a personal God. He's a loving God. And he wants us to know him as Father. In the book of Matthew alone, do you know that there are over 60 references to God as Father? But yet we don't find any other title. We don't find Yahweh, Adonai. We don't find any of these other titles. We hear the word Father. This is what Jesus wants to do. He wants us to call God our Father. Let me just quickly show you um, a passage from uh, Matthew chapter 6. Matthew 6, verse 9. Uh, Jesus says, when you pray, pray like this. Our Father in heaven, may your name be kept holy. Now, before we, we, we unpack that verse, there's a few things I need to point out to you. Notice it comes from Matthew chapter 6, and it's Jesus who's speaking. Here's what we discover in Matthew chapter 6. Jesus keeps referring to God as Father, In fact, he tells us in Matthew chapter 6 how we are to respond to the Father, how we are to, what we are to do in relationship to the Father. A lot of us here today have been Christians for years, but we have never really stopped to think of it that way. Jesus tells us what to do as children of God the Father. Let me just quickly read a few uh, verses to you. Starting in Matthew chapter 6 and verse 5, Jesus says, when you pray... Or when you talk to your father, because that's, how many know that that's what prayer is? Prayer is talking to God, our father. It's communicating with him. Uh, Last night I was on the phone talking to my father. And by the way, I was talking to him as a father, uh, not as some sort of distant and remote being. When I was a child, if I needed to use my dad's car, I didn't go before him and say, oh, the mighty father of mine. Wouldest thou please lendest me the keys to thine car? I just said, Dad, can I use the car? No problem. You see the personal relationship. But we have this notion or this idea that God is unapproachable. Jesus wants to demolish, wants to destroy that false notion of who God is. Now, can I just say this to you? Before Adam and Eve sinned, In Genesis chapter 2, we find that that there's a beautiful relationship between the Father and Adam and Eve. They walk together. They talk together. They fellowship together. Folks, that is what normal looks like. And many of us here today have been so twisted by life and by sin and by the craziness of our families that we've grown up in, we don't even know what normal looks like. Well, I'm showing you today what a normal relationship with God looks like is that you communicate, you talk freely to your father, you pour out your heart to the father, you tell your father all that's in your heart. And by the way, do you see what happens when Adam and Eve sin against God? When they, when they disobey God, what do they do? The first thing they do is they hide from father. They, they don't want to see father. They don't, because why? Because they don't want to get into trouble. They don't, they, they've got feelings of guilt and shame, and they don't want to approach the father. Let's not complicate our faith, people. Let's, call, let's, let's, let's look at this very simply, like children. God wants to have a relationship with you where you pour out your heart to him. So let's look at this again. 
Matthew chapter 6, verse 5. When you pray, don't be like the hypocrites who love to pray publicly on street corners and in the synagogues where everyone can see them. I tell you the truth. That is all the reward they will ever get. Jesus is saying, this is no relationship with God. This is just showing off. A lot of people have that kind of a religion. They're just showing off. There's nothing to it, no substance to it. In fact, you can sense it. You know it. Something's, something's not real here. Something's not genuine. And that's what Jesus is attacking here, this false religion, this false, false faith. And then verse 6, but when you pray, go away by yourself and shut the door behind you and pray to your father in private. That's normal. Just privately talk to your father. You don't need to make a show of it. What's that about? And then your father, who sees everything, will reward you. And when you pray, don't babble on and on as people of other religions do. They think that their prayers are answered merely by repeating their words again and again and again. By the way, that's why at our church, we don't have what we call a liturgy. This is why we don't just, you know. I went to England last year, and I went to an Anglican church. And by the way, I'm not attacking the Anglican church. It's, 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 it's you know, for the most part, it's pretty solid. And uh, anyways, I went to what they called Evensong. I had no idea what to expect. Little did I know, it was, uh, it was a lot of kneeling and standing and then sitting and then kneeling again and open the prayer book and read this page and that page. And I, I'd never done this before, and of course I can't see, so I got my glasses on, and I got my glasses off, and I got, a, I got this book and that page, and there's a, one, a page they handed out, and I'm fiddling through all this, and everybody's standing, and I'm, trying, I'm kneeling, and I'm, trying, I'm so confused, and there's a couple of Anglicans sitting across, because in the Anglican church, they, the chairs are oriented so they're facing each other. So... I don't know this, but I'm putting on a show for these people, <laughs> trying, to, trying to get this thing figured out. And they're sitting there, and they're killing themselves laughing, watching me, trying to get this thing right. Now, I'm going to say, I did enjoy the service, and I'm going to say a lot of the words in the liturgy were very, very powerful. But the problem is, is that it was not from the heart, or not from my heart anyways. I was trying to, trying to get this thing right, trying to know when to, when to lift my hands, when to kneel, when to stand, when to sit. It was, it was, it was really quite, and, and on top of that, I left behind my, my favorite glasses. I was so, so disoriented and so confused. I, I left my best glasses there. So if I ever go back, I'm going to see if I can get them. But that was what I had to deal with. That's not, that's not normal people. That's, this, is, this is what turns people off against religion or against the church because it doesn't seem genuine. It doesn't seem real. I'm not saying it's not. So don't go away from here saying, Pastor, I'll attack my, my former religion or my religion. I'm not saying that. What I'm saying is that what Jesus wants for us is this normal conversation with our Father in heaven. In fact, Jesus says, when you pray, did you notice that? Pray like this. And then he gives us the model. Pray, our Father in heaven. Oh, and by the way, did you notice it begins with our Father? The hour is there for a reason. Because Jesus wants us to understand that everybody who's put their faith in Christ, who, by the way, Paul calls our older brother, I like that, anybody who's put their faith in Jesus has become part of God's family. So today, if you're here and you've put your faith in Christ and you are a Christian, guess what? You're part of our family here. Are, are we a perfect family? Oh, no. Man, we, 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 just get, we just mess up and make mistakes all the time. 
We're not, we're by no stretch are we a perfect church. But I'm going to tell you, we are, every one of us, trying to get it right and trying to follow the will of our Father as outlined in Scripture. So you're, if you're a Christian today, if you don't have a family, then you're an orphan. And this is not God's will for your life. God's will for your life, if you are, if, if, only if, if you are a Christian, you need to be part of a family. You cannot grow outside of a family. In fact, one great theologian, John Calvin, said, you can't even be saved outside of the family. Now, someone might say here, well, hold on a minute here, Pastor, I thought we were saved by faith alone. Yes, but you need a context for that. If I, was, if I said I was going to be pouring a concrete, but I didn't put any forms in, you'd say I was out of my mind. You're just making a pile of concrete. But if I put forms in place, now I'm, I'm making a driveway. You see the difference. And so this is the way it is with your faith. You need a family because it's in the context of the family that the Father is able to develop us and help us to grow. And so... Jesus says, pray like this, our Father in heaven, may your name be kept holy. By the way, what does that mean, may your name be kept holy? Well, let me just explain it like this. I am a Duncalf, and that's who I am, and there are some other Duncalfs here today. And uh, we, we, uh, we have an identity. My identity is as a Duncalf. And what, I, what you need to understand is that Duncalfs are hardworking people. We like to do things a certain way. We like to, we like to uh, be people of our word and so on and so forth. Now, if I ever functioned in a way that was contrary to the way Duncalfs function, then what I'm doing is I'm bringing shame on, on the name Duncalf. Well, this is precisely what Jesus is saying here. He's saying, Father, may your name be kept holy. In other words, may your name be kept holy in us. Because as people who are called Christians, what's a Christian? What does that mean? It's a Christian. That's right. We have the name of Christ in us. When people look at us, they have to know, oh, that person's a Christian. And therefore, because he or she is a Christian, she behaves a certain way. She speaks a certain way. She has a certain attitude. There's a lot of us who actually bring shame on the name of Christ because we claim to be Christians, but we don't act like Christians. We don't talk like Christians. I know one man said, I would be a Christian today, but as a, a, as a contractor dealing with people who call themselves Christians, I got turned off of Christianity and the church. I want nothing to do with that. No, that's not an excuse. Because someday when you stand before, when, when, you, when you go before God, you won't be standing before those, those people who claim to be Christians. You're standing before God. So there are, are no excuses. However, however, it needs to be understood that our job as Christians is to be faithful representatives of our Father. And so the way we keep God's name holy is by making sure that we're living, listen to this, in obedience to our Father. It's that simple. Glory was reading a book on vacation on the life of uh, of. George Bush, the first, not the second, the first. It was the second George Bush that wrote the book on his father. And in the book, he begins by telling the story of George Bush, the first grandfather. His name is Burt Walker. 
Burt Walker had a number of children, and one of the children, his name was Lou, was, a, was quite a, an accomplished tennis player. He was in Yale University, and uh, he really was really quite a remarkable young man. And the problem is, is that this Lou Walker, this, this, uh, this young man who was a proficient uh, student, he was a proficient tennis player, he knew how proficient he was. He knew how smart he was. He knew how capable and how skilled he was. Long story short, there's a tennis match scheduled, and uh, many great, great families of the area were going to be showing up to watch this match, including Lou's parents. When Lou showed up for the, for the tournament, he was, in fact, drunk. His father was so angry at him, after the match, where he obviously did poorly because he's playing drunk, at the end of the match, his father called him aside and said, you have brought shame on our name. You brought shame on our family. And for this reason, I'm taking you out of Yale University and you're going to go work in the coal mines in Pennsylvania for a year to teach you a little bit of humility, to teach you what it means to be a real man. Now, in this day and age where we're all snowflakes and very fragile and can't cope with anything like this, we find that very harsh. But in fact, there was a discipline that was required. And this is exactly what happened. Discipline was introduced and Lou's life was changed. Now, can I just remind everybody of something? In Hebrews chapter 12, God said, the scripture says that God disciplines those that he loves. And some of you here today may be under discipline, under God's discipline. But the writer of Hebrews says, don't despair. Your father in heaven is proving to you that he loves you by allowing you to go through this struggle, through this difficulty. If God didn't love you, he wouldn't discipline you. Some of you here today are just saying, I'm ready to give up on God. Nothing's going my way. Nothing's going right. Hey, stop for a minute and recognize that God is not finished with you yet. Consider that God is working in you to make you more like his son, Jesus. Because that really is our goal while we are here on this earth. I don't know if you knew that. But while we're still got breath in us and still alive on this earth, God wants to make us like Jesus. God disciplines those that he loves. Now, Jesus instructed us to never call anybody father. I don't know if you knew that. In Matthew 28, uh, or 23, verse 9, Jesus says, And don't address anyone here on earth as father, for only God in heaven is your spiritual father. In the Roman Catholic Church, they call their priests father. But in this church, you don't call me father, although some people mistakenly, who maybe don't have any kind of a church background, will refer to me as father. And, uh, and I have to correct them. I have to say, no, you can't call me father, because I'm not. I'm your brother in Christ, but I'm not your father. There's only one father, and it's our father who is in heaven. Hallowed be his name. Some of you have wondered, why don't we call pastors fathers? It's because I'm not your father. And Jesus explicitly teaches do not ever call anybody father. Hey, you know, when we were in the airport yesterday, there's a man sitting beside us. On one leg, he had massive, massive 
666 down one leg, and on the other leg it said, God hates us all. Tattooed all over, obviously a skinhead, a Nazi. And uh, I, felt, I felt just an instant compassion and sorrow because while he wrote on his leg, God hates us all, my immediate thought was, yes, your God does hate you, but my God loves you. He's not, he's not talking about my God. He's talking about his God, the God of this world. And the Bible says that the God of this world has blinded those who are perishing so that they can't see the truth. They can't see the love of God. But those of us who put our faith in Jesus Christ, we understand that God is our Father and that he loves us. I wish I had time to talk to that young man. I prayed for him instead. I prayed that he'd come to know who the real God is. And then what a job it will be to get that tattoo off his leg. <laughs> hey, John learned well from Jesus. Remember, Jesus taught his disciples, he taught everybody, to call God Father. And so John in 1 John 3, 1 says, see how very much our Father loves us. For he calls us what? Say it. That's right. How much our Father loves us, for he calls us his children. And that is what we are. If you have put your faith in Christ today, if you are a Christian today, then you need to understand something. You are a child of God. Now, I hear this all the time whenever, especially when we're doing funerals and there's people here who are not converted, who don't know Christ, and they'll talk about how, how God is, uh, that we're all God's children, and, and this very erroneous and mixed up understanding and view of God. Well, it's not their fault they don't know. But what you need to understand today is that not everybody is God's children. Only those who put their faith in Christ. Do you understand that? Only those who put their faith in Christ are, in fact, God's children. Now, God is obviously the father of, this, of, of the creation, so yes, we would say it in that sense. But in a, in a very real, in a very literal sense, in fact, only those who put their faith in Christ can say, God is my father. And the reason for this is because, as Paul says in, in Romans... Uh, Romans chapter 5, verse 10, he says that we are all born as enemies of God. Did you know that? When you were born into this world, you were born an enemy of God. And I often think of that. Uh, maybe I shouldn't be telling you this, but when I'm dedicating those little babies, I'm thinking to myself, you little, little child that is so sweet and so cute and so beautiful, you were born an enemy of God. Hey, this is why we dedicate children, because they have got to make a decision on their own to put their faith in Christ. That sounds very harsh, but in fact, it's not. We all know that. Anybody who's a parent here today and has got a, a, a two-year-old understands what I'm talking about. You never saw more, more self-centered creatures on the planet than a two-year-old and a three-year-old and a four-year-old and a five-year-old. And Well, we could go on and on. You get the point. We need to be converted. We need to be transformed. We need to become born again. And the way that we're born again is by putting our faith in Jesus Christ. You see how that works? That's how we become the children of God. And because we're born enemies of God, because God is willing to adopt us as his own, this is why John says, look how much love our Father has for us. It's incredible. We who are born enemies of God has adopted us as his very own so that we can be called the children of God. 
Folks, this is the gospel. You've heard of the gospel before? You're hearing it right now. Some of you never heard the gospel before. But you need to understand that you become a child of God when you put your faith in Christ and when you begin to learn to follow the direction of your heavenly Father. It's funny that we're talking about the Trinity. We're, 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 we're delving into this theology, this doctrine of God. But isn't it interesting that the way that we understand who the Father is is by understanding his relationship to us. He, he, he draws that picture for us so we clearly understand the great love he has for us. Now, I've got three kids, and I can tell you I love every one of them. And I can tell you this, that... that there's times when our kids have made mistakes, their kids have, have been uh, uh, less than wonderful, can I put it like that? Never ever did I find myself thinking, if that kid does that one more time, he's, I'm kicking him out. He's on the street, bags and all. I don't care if he is six years old, he's out. <laughs> Never once did I ever feel that. In fact, here's what I discovered that no matter what my kids were saying or doing, and no matter how they may have failed or made mistakes, it just made me want to love them even more. Folks, if that's how much I love my kids, imagine how much more our Father in Heaven loves us. And here's what I know. Some of you are sitting here today and you're thinking, man, I have messed up so bad. I have sinned so bad. I, I, I would be so mortified, so humiliated if anybody found out the truth about what I'm really like. Hey, I got good news for you. And some bad news. The bad news is God knows every single thing that you've done and said. And not only that, he knows every single thought that you're thinking. Because he is omniscient. He's all-knowing. But the good news is he loves you anyway. The good news is that anybody who comes to the Father and asks for forgiveness, the Bible says he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. That's the love of our father. Hey, he's, he's not, he's not a, a doting father. He's not, a, he's not a, a, a kind of father who spoils his kids. Don't, there's a theology out there that suggests that, that you know, we're king's kids and we can do whatever we want. Oh, no, 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 no. That's a totally wrong theology. Our father disciplines us, but, he, but that's part of his love for us. He provides for us, he cares for us, he meets our needs, but then he also disciplines us so that we become like Jesus. It's critical to understand that this is what the Christian life is all about. Hey, I want to share another verse with you. Uh, the Apostle Paul in Romans 8, 15 says, so you have not received a spirit that makes you fearful slaves. Hey, by the way, did you know that when you became a Christian, God's spirit came to live in you? I don't know if you knew that. When you became a Christian, when you were born again, the Spirit of God came to live in you. And this Spirit does not make you fearful slaves. In other words, we're not, we don't have to be hiding from God the way Adam and Eve hid from God in Genesis, Genesis 3. We don't have to hide from God. God wants us to come to him with all of our struggles, with all of our mix-ups, with all the nonsense and the garbage and, and all the mistakes and all the sin. He wants us to come to him as we are and say, God, I messed up. And God says, what, again? No, he didn't say that. What does he say? Come to me. In fact, Jesus says that. Come to me, all you are heavy laden, heavy burdened, and I'm going to give you rest. 
Hey, the gospel is this, folks. The good news is this. We are to run to God, not run away from him when life gets difficult. And the problem with so many of us is when we fail, when we mess up, we run away from God rather than running to him. The prodigal son, he finally figured that out. He was, he was, he was a rich young man, and he squandered his wealth. He was feeding from a pig trough. And all of a sudden, the Bible says he came to his senses and thinks, my father is a wealthy, is wealthy, wealthy beyond belief. What am I doing here feeding with the pigs? And I'd ask you that. What are you doing feeding with the pigs? You have a loving father that cares for you. Run back to him. And you're going to find this. He's going to embrace you and welcome you back with open arms. That's how much he loves you. He said, Pastor John, you don't know how much I failed. I don't care how much you failed. You don't know how much I failed. What matters is that God declares his great love for us and he demonstrates it by sending his son to die on the cross for your sins and mine. I'm going to tell you folks that Christ's death on the cross has greater power than all the sin you could ever commit and he can wash you white as snow. That's the gospel. That's the good news. No, we don't have to be afraid of God. Instead, you received God's spirit when he adopted you as his own children. Hey, when you became a Christian, you were adopted into God's family. The apostle Paul is, uh, in case you don't know it, is a Roman citizen. And when he used that word adopted, here's what he had in mind. And let me just quickly share this with you as I wrap up. In Rome, adopting a child meant that the child was freely chosen and desired by the parents. So just let the Spirit of God speak to you right now. If you know Christ today, if you've been exposed to the gospel, if you've given your heart to Jesus, I want you to know something. It's not you who chose God, but God chose you. God didn't just choose you. He desired you. He looked at you, and he said, Hannah, you are mine, my precious child. And Hannah shakes her head and wonders, how on earth could that be? That's her mother laughing there. <laughs> How on earth can that be? Well, I'll tell you because God's love is beyond anything that you and I can ever comprehend. In fact, it's just as mysterious as the Trinity. Who can understand this great love? Wow. He's adopted you as his own. So in, in, in Roman law, when you adopt a child, it meant the child was freely chosen and desired by the parents. It meant that the child would be a permanent part of the family. Legally, once a child was adopted, a parent could never disown a child. I want you to think about that for a moment, because some of you think, hey, how, how, when I was a kid, I got saved about eight times. Every time, every time I went to church and the pastor said, anybody want to get saved? I thought, I better do it again just for safe measure. Hey, when you're born again, when you're, when you're born, you can only be born once. And when you're born again, you're born once. You come to the Father, and God will not disown you because you are his very own child. An adopted child received a new identity. Hey, I love that about being, becoming a Christian. Hey, the person I am today is not the person I was when I was born. When I was born, I was an enemy of God. But when I was about eight years of age... God, in his grace and mercy, adopted me as his child. I was born again, and I, I, I gained a new identity. Number four, 
All prior commitments, all responsibilities, all debts were erased as though you'd never sinned. Just think about that. Because some of you think you've got to work off your debt. When it comes to God, he erases it. He justifies you. He, he cleanses you as though you'd never sinned. It means you've got new privileges and new responsibilities. And it means that you have an inheritance that begins immediately. Not, not, not when you die, but immediately. Now, I want you just to stop and consider for a moment this great doctrine of adoption. You and I belong to God. You and I belong to the Father. And he loves us. And he's not finished with us yet. Hey, can I just share a little story and then we'll close? When I was a boy, I was about 13 years of age, and my dad uh, had a plumbing company called Duncalf Mechanical. Duncalf Mechanical the first. And I remember being dropped off uh, at a job. And uh, I felt very intimidated uh, on this job site, surrounded by... I mean, I was just a youth, really, but surrounded by men. They're, they're contractors, they're uh, tradesmen, and uh, it, was a, it, was, it was a man's world, not a, not a child's world, not a youth's world, but it was a man's world, and it was quite intimidating. But here's what I discovered. I discovered that as soon as people found out that I was the son of the owner of Duncalf Mechanical, well, that changed everything. Now I wasn't just some kid on the job site, I was the son of the owner of Duncalf Mechanical. Suddenly, there was a respect for me. Suddenly, I was treated with, with privilege. But I discovered something else, that because I was the son of the owner of Duncalf Mechanical, while others could relax and take it easy, because I was the son, I had certain responsibilities. I not only had to work hard, but I had to work harder than anybody else because I was a son of the owner. I want the Spirit of God to speak to your heart right now because your job and my job is to bring glory and honor to our Father in heaven. And that's why we're involved in Burundi. That's why we're involved in this community. This is why we're here, to represent our Father how else can the world know who God is except through you and me? And so for this reason, Jesus teaches us to pray. When you pray, pray, God, let your name be kept holy in my life. In other words, God, be honored through me in this life. God, let my words, my attitudes, my actions, everything I say and do, let it bring glory to your name. In fact, God that everything I say and do cause people around me to praise my Father in heaven. Isn't that exactly what Jesus said? That is our responsibility. The privilege is this. We can come to God anytime. And God wants to care for us. God wants to meet our needs, physically and spiritually. That's why Jesus teaches us to pray. Give us this day our daily bread because God really cares about your physical needs. All your needs, whatever need you have, God cares about it and he wants to help you. And God cares about your spiritual needs as well. That's why he teaches us to pray. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. Let's stand together and pray. Father, thank you. Thank you for what you want to do in our hearts and lives. Thank you for the reminder today, God, of how much you love us.
And the fact that because we put our faith in Christ, we have been accepted into your family. We have been adopted. We're your very own. So, Father, we thank you that, that you've begun a good work in us and you're going to complete it. Father, if there are any here today who are feeling distant from you, may they understand today that they can run back to you and that you will embrace them with open arms, even as the father of the prodigal son embraced his son who was lost. God, that's how you will embrace us. Help us to come to you with all of our needs, with all of our problems, knowing, God, that we can come freely, not because we deserve it, but because of Jesus, who deserves everything. And it's Jesus Christ that we put our faith in. And God, thank you that when you look at us, you see your son, Jesus. We pray all that in your name. And everyone said it with me? Tell the person beside you, go.